Hey there, welcome to the LSAT Demon Daily. I'm Dylan Horowitz, that's Nathan Fox. He's my boss, the founder of the LSAT Demon. I'm his employee, at a teacher, a tutor, and an ask button responder. Nathan, this is your show. Uh, how do you want to get started? <laughs> well, I guess um, it would be really good to introduce you. You are the uh, right now you're actually the primary person behind our ask button. Ask has turned into this amazing feature at LSAT Demon where um, all our students can email in uh, questions. I did a real quick little bit of uh, research and I yesterday we had 28 questions from students. You responded to 25 of them. Today we had 18 questions, or sorry, yesterday, sorry, Monday we had uh, 28 and you responded to 25. Tuesday we had 18 questions and you responded to 12 of them. I wanted to thank you for all of that hard work. I also think mm -hmm. it's just going to be cool to talk about like what your life looks like on the ask yeah. button. But maybe you want to introduce people. I mean, like, where are you? What do you do? What's your whole thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, but first, at the risk of making a logical fallacy, I do think <laughs> The fact that I'm the primary person is why it became such a great feature. <laughs> <laughs> no. Totally. Yes, yeah. I've, you can have all the credit. It's not me. I mean, I no, write no, no. like what? I do one a day or something like that when they no, when Obviously, need a new I'm one. kidding. Yeah. The, the whole team is great. I'm not the only one, but. No, no, no. We uh, have an amazing yeah. team there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So a bit about me. Uh, last year, I graduated from the University of Michigan and uh, studied public policy. Uh, I'm taking a gap year this year to work for you, uh, and I'm. it's such a great experience. People always say, like, do something that you enjoy doing, you're good at, and someone will pay you to do it, and this is it. So couldn't think of a better way to spend this year. And in the fall, I'm heading to Harvard Law, and I'm really excited and a little nervous, but mostly excited. <laughs> awesome. We just had uh, Sarah on the show. She's a 1L at Harvard Law. And she said uh, very specifically that she has never worked harder in her entire life. She's kind of yeah, shocked, that's, that's, actually. That's what I hear. And mostly where the nerves come from. But uh, I'm going to go in humble and just work my hardest. Same as what I've done to get to the point where I got into Harvard. So Hopefully, uh, things will go well. Cool. So what's it like working on the ask button? What are, I guess you must, you've got like a unique kind of an insight really, because nobody else does quite what you do. I mean, you're like virtual mm -hmm. email only LSAT teaching. Uh, mm -hmm. so how, how's that go for you? What, what do you, I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. I mean, I really enjoy it. Um, I'm not someone who absolutely needs like the face-to-face -face part of tutoring to like get something out of it. Mm -hmm. Like just giving someone a, a response to their question and then them writing back like, thank you so much. It This makes so much sense. Uh, it really makes me feel like what I'm doing has a purpose and makes it a lot easier to sign on and start knocking out requests. Um, but I think what's so interesting is how I can go from one request with a student at a certain level and then talk about the test a certain way to make them understand. And then you get someone else who is at a completely different level, who demonstrates like such great mastery of the stuff, but has a, a few lapses in their understanding. 
and being able to engage like that. Uh, the variety just always keeps things interesting. And of course, variety, not just in the level of the students uh, writing in, but in the kinds of questions they uh, write. And so I think it gives me like a really good like sample of what do students struggle with on this test? And what are some of the most common mistakes students make? And it's just been uh, a lot of fun doing that. What uh, what types of things have you seen people? I know that as a classroom teacher, uh, I see people making the same mistakes in pretty much every class. What uh, mm -hmm. what do you see people doing wrong all the time? Yeah, well, I mean, anyone who's listened to like any episode of the Thinking LSAT podcast or the Demon Daily knows that like pretty much most mistakes are just the student didn't understand the passage well enough. They didn't read it correctly. They didn't grapple with it, whatever it may be. But what I didn't realize until I started like doing the ask button is that so many students make unforced errors on the LSAT where they understood the passage, but they still got the question wrong. And the most common trend as to why that happens is they don't actually understand what the question is asking them to do. Uh, I notice a lot of people, they don't read the question. They identify the question. They just glance at it and they go, oh, that matches mm. like this archetype of what a you know necessary assumption question is. But they don't actually know what it is that that question is asking them to do. That, yeah, I would think, I mean, that happens at a higher level where, where students are even familiar with the idea of question types. Mm -hmm. It happens at lower levels too, where people, they just don't, they, they don't, they're not even familiar with question types at all, but they still just don't read the question. They're not, they're mm -hmm. like not answering the question. Yeah. It's hard and to describe why people don't do it. <laughs> yeah. And the when I get like, there are occasionally times when I don't mind this, but people like fervently argue against me who are just, you know, they're incorrect, but like they're passionately defending their side, which I guess there is, you know, some nobility in that. Um, but where, where I see it the most is with people who misinterpret the question and they are absolutely sure that they correctly answered the question they thought they were answering but not the real one. And I have a, a few examples of this. Like the difference between a must be true question and a supported question is like obvious to like you and me. Like for a must be true question, the right answer is something that absolutely needs to be proven by the passage. Yeah. Supported questions is just something that, you know, the passage suggested or it's supported but didn't prove it. Significant overlap, though, because if yes. we find an answer that is proven by the passage, then that's the mm -hmm. answer. Yeah. Okay. But the amount of que uh, like questions I get uh, that like argue against an answer choice uh, uh, on a supported question because they're like, oh, well, technically, isn't it possible that this isn't really true? And right. it's like, well, yes, but that's that's you're you're holding this answer choice to too high of a bar. Right. And. We see this a lot on strengthen and weaken questions too. Like for a strengthen question, they're like, wait, even if this answer choice is true, it's still possible that the you know conclusion isn't really proven. And it's like, yes, but strengthen questions are about making the conclusion more likely to be true, not about 
proving it definitively, which, of course, is a sufficient assumption question. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I totally get that. One of the things I've found myself saying a lot in class recently is that you have to interpret one of the answers in a way that makes it make perfect sense. So uh, it doesn't have to, on a strengthened question, prove the argument. It, it doesn't, on a supported question, have to be proven by the facts. There can be like quibbles with these answers, but you've eliminated the other four. Like you can't pick the other four answers. And one of the answers was intended by the test makers to be perfect. You know, mm -hmm. they're like lawyers. They're very literal people. So the correct answer does answer the question. And when they say which one of the following is most strongly supported by the information above, well, one of the answers, it doesn't have to be proven by that information above, but they meant for one of those answers to be correct. And so you can say, well, this doesn't necessarily have to be true. Yeah, but I can say, I, I know, but of those five, it's the one that is best supported by those facts. And look, here's the facts that support this answer. This is what they meant. You mm -hmm. could twist it. You could interpret it in some weird way that it that it that it's wrong. But the other four answers are just straight wrong. And this one answer is what they meant to be correct. And you do have to like. So it's it's there's it's kind of like a irony because on the first pass through, we're going to be like ultra hyper aggressively eliminating answers. But then one of the answers does have to be correct. And so we're not going to like get rid of it on some weird twisted interpretation of like, well, it could possibly be wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, what that reminded me of is how on LR, which is, I feel like not a lot of people know this because most people skip the instructions at the beginning as they should when the clock is ticking. But we are actually allowed to assume things. Yeah. Now, they have to be reasonable assumptions. And what I get is like, well, for you, D is wrong because you said we have to make this assumption, but E is right and you said we make this other assumption. And it's like, well, yeah, because D is an unreasonable assumption that we need to make for that to be right. Whereas the assumption we have to make for E, it's common sense. It's the kind of thing where, of course, that's a thing we're allowed to assume. And people ask me, like, well, how do I know whether it's reasonable or not? And honestly, I don't know what a good answer to that is, because I feel like even in law, like, how do you define reasonable doubt? It not it just kind of like a gut feeling? Like, is there a definition yeah. of what is or isn't reasonable? Yeah, I mean, I would say, could would you like stand up in court and make that argument? Or... <laughs> I, or would you like really in, in your 1L class or whatever, you're going to like raise your hand and you're going to make that objection? You know, mm. it's like you have to vouch for one of these five. And it, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be the best one. But like they've written this test so that four of the answers, they're embarrassing. Like they're not. It's not like second best. It, they're they're not close. They're embarrassingly bad. Like if you stood up in court and said this, 
you would get shot down just immediately <laughs> by the judge or by the opposing counsel, and you would look like an ass. And one of them, even though you might be on slightly shaky ground, it's like at least not a total tragedy to pick it. And, you know, it's like, OK, look, you're a criminal defense attorney. Your guy obviously did it. You still have to defend him anyway. You're going to make the best case you can possibly make. And if sometimes you have to sort of be like, well, I mean, here, this is this is my argument. Well, OK, it's not like it has to be perfect. It just has to be better. And it's significantly better. It's not like it's slightly better. It's way, way better than these other answer choices. Yeah. I laughed when you said that because just today, a few hours ago, I literally wrote to someone, would you stand up in court and say, your yeah. honor, the thing they said? And it, it, it makes it so much easier to see like when you're just make, you're being unreasonable, like really putting yourself in the shoes. I think it's just so important to like really think of LR as lawyer shit. Like that's what it is. Do you understand arguments yeah. and can you criticize them? Uh, reading comp too, man. Mm -hmm. We're we're on this topic of people not reading the question, right? Uh just last night in my class, uh someone hung out after class to ask me about this question. She goes, well, the question says, which one of the following laws? And so that's why I picked whichever answer. And and I'm like, but wait, <laughs> the question doesn't say which one of the following laws. The question says, which one of the following laws would conform most closely to the position articulated by the author of passage A but not that articulated by the author of passage B. And it's like, you have to sort of hold people's hands and, and it's not like any, mm -hmm. she understands all of those words. Mm -hmm. She's just not paying attention to all of those words. Like she's not actually reading them and figuring out what the damn question asks. I mean, the question is saying, essentially it boils down to, well, which one of these does passage A agree with, but passage B disagrees mm -hmm. with. And she she was answering it based on the first like four words. She's like, well, no, I mean, I thought that one was good because they're looking for a law and this one was more general. And so that it was a law. I was like, oh, my God, you're not like you're just not even reading the question. You're not answering the question at all. It's a I tragedy. Mean, is there any explanation for it other than? people feel a sense of urgency and they want to take a shortcut whenever they can. I, how else would you explain that? Just yeah. not reading the question. They were trained to do it by their undergrad education or by their high school education or by at some point along the line, they learned these gimmicky ways of doing multiple choice where it was just like, well, I mean, I don't have to read everything. I don't have to actually understand it. And in LSAT world, if they come from a background in, you know, Kaplan or some other sort of chintzy program that is focusing on these gimmicks and tricks and shortcuts. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've heard the founders of Princeton Review on Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, which I was a just garbage <laughs> podcast about the LSAT. But the founders of the Princeton Review are like, well, on reading comp, we don't have enough time to actually understand. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just that's just a hundred thousand percent wrong. Like it couldn't be more wrong. You, you have to understand mm-hmm. you are not going to be answering these questions correctly if you don't understand what they say. You have to understand yeah. the passage. You have to understand the question and you have to understand the answer that you pick. Mm-hmm. You don't have to necessarily understand all of the wrong answers because we can eliminate those frequently. Just, you know, it's like, what? I don't even know what this means. Goodbye. But the right answer is the one that answers the question. But that mm-hmm. does mean that you have to actually read, God, the question. Uh, along this this same uh, vein, I wish, you know how whenever there's an accept, they make it like all caps and like bolded? <laughs> yes. I wish they did that for the word most because that changes what a question is asking you to do. And I feel like students just gloss over it completely. Um, there's just there's this one question that I've answered the same question over and over until I was finally like, why don't I just add this to the explanation? Because I, I want to preempt these objections. But it's a paradox question where we have to explain a trend over like a, a time span. And one of the answer choices explains it over 90% of that time span. So like 10% of it, like we still don't know why that trend is happening. But this answer choice explains 90% of why this trend is happening. You, you, as you would imagine, the other four answer choices don't explain anything at all. Right. Yet Not close. All these Just students are trash. like, yeah, instead of focusing on that 90% that answers it, they're just like, they're focused on that 10%. Like what? It, it doesn't fully explain it. But if yeah. you read the question, it's which one of the following, if true, most explains the apparent discrepancy. Right. And 90% doesn't have to be is perfect. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> just has to be overwhelmingly better than all the other answers, mm-hmm. and which is not that hard because the other answers are complete trash. Uh, I'm excited about Elizabeth's new wrong answer wreckers class that she's doing on Sunday afternoons for LSAT Demon Live subscribers because she's going to spend extra time there, like conclusively, thoroughly dismissing the wrong answers. You know, and mm-hmm. in class, like when I do explanations, I frequently am like, I don't even understand that. Goodbye. Or I can see this is going in the wrong direction. Goodbye. And students sometimes want like more time to, mm-hmm. you know, the wrong answers can be wrong for three different reasons sometimes. And so that's what that class is going to do. It's going to like take that extra time to, to really Mm -hmm. just show people how bad these answers (laughs) actually are. I mean, frequently one of my first responses to people when they're like, when they make these kinds of quibbles that you're talking about, Dylan, where they're like, well, this isn't a perfect answer. I just right away. I'm like, yeah, okay. What are you going to pick though? Like, what else are you going to possibly pick? Because your Ben has talked about this on Thinking LSAT before, too, where it's like, well, let's hear your argument for this other answer. Let's let's mm-hmm. let's look at how ridiculous like it's just completely specious. It makes no sense. Like what? That's a wild stretch that you're making to get to that. Mm hmm. And then now you're making what quibble against this answer that we like, that we know is correct, that everyone agrees is the is the right answer. Um, no, oh, wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, I I think that it's it'll be good to learn this lesson now to just apply the right burden to these answer choices, so that you know when you're a lawyer and you are like you know tr- you're litigating a civil case, 
You're not like, oh, they didn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. That's not the burden. We need to know the burden. And it's the same yeah. thing here. Totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. I, I want to be clear about like, I really, I think the way to approach these answers, I do want you to disrespect the answer choices. Mm-hmm. I want you to, to go into the answer choices, expecting them to be wrong. Four out of five of them are wrong. A is wrong 80% of the time. I want you to read A looking for reasons why it's wrong. And I want you to do the same thing for B, C, D, and E. And one of the answers you're not going to be able to disprove. One of the answers you're going to be like, whoa, oh yeah, okay. That's, you know, either that's what I predicted or it's not what I predicted, but I totally see how it answers the question. And the other four answers you're going to eliminate. And that's the one answer. Boom. That's how it happens like 90% of the time. 10% of the time, I will eliminate all five. Right. Because I'm I'm so yeah. critical that I'm looking for reasons to let them go. And I, I don't think about it like super deeply. It's just like, nope, this isn't great. But goodbye. And then I get rid of all five. Then I have to go back through and be a little bit more generous. Right. Because one mm-hmm. of them does have to be right. So I in the old days on pencil and paper LSAT, I would make a little tick mark across the answers that I thought I had eliminated. And then when I eliminated all five, which again would happen like one out of 10 questions, then I would go back through and I would like cross out the answers the other way to be a little. And then I would give them a little bit more respect where I would be like, Mm -hmm. well, one of these guys is not conclusively wrong, but still, oh no, but that's conclusively wrong. That's conclusively wrong. That's conclusively wrong. Oh, I see this one, Mm -hmm. this other one. Yeah, that's conclusively wrong. Yeah, this one. I didn't like it because of some little quibble, but it can't be any of these other four. And now I see what they meant. That does answer the question, like kind of double check. Is it really answering the question or you double check the passage on reading comp to go? Yeah, okay. there's evidence here Mm -hmm. for this. All right. I see what they're saying. That's the answer. Yeah. And I don't think it could be understated how much better it is to eliminate five answer choices than to leave two open. Yeah, totally. The amount of questions that are like, oh, why is C better than D or something like that? (laughs) And it's like, they say two completely different things. It's not like they're very similar, but like one word is different. Like they just convey completely different ideas. And one of them answers the question definitively. And one of them definitively does not answer the question. Yeah, I had that last night on a sufficient assumption question. It was right at the end of class and this dude, it, it, we were doing a pretty hard sufficient assumption question. And this guy is like kind of a, he's sort of new to the demon. Mm-hmm. And I was yelling about how you have to predict the answer on a sufficient assumption question. And I really don't have any patience for anything that doesn't just, you know, f- fill the gap. Like I, I'm going to predict the answer. I see what the evidence is. I see what the conclusion is. I know how to get from the evidence to the conclusion So I'm going to predict the answer because that's how you do sufficient assumption questions. And we had this whole lengthy, like, I felt like it was a 20 minute discussion about this whole question. And then the dude's like, well, yeah, I mean, that's what I predicted too. But then a, like I, I, why is D better than a, (laughs) and I look at a, and it doesn't even have one of the elements that I was looking for. It was just like, it was some other weird like reinforcement of one of the existing premises or something. It was like 
And, and I just had to be like, nope, I interrupted the guy, poor guy. I, I interrupted him and I'm just like, nope, uh-uh, nope, stop talking. I don't, sorry, dude, <laughs> you don't know what you're doing at all on a sufficient assumption question. It's not like this answer is slightly better than that other answer. One of them is a sufficient assumption. That one isn't even close to a sufficient <laughs> assumption. Like he was arguing about the fourth best answer, literally, because there were two other answers that were both sufficient and necessary they were confusing sufficient and necessary on the right answer right so mm -hmm. it was like oh these two <laughs> now these two they have all the right elements but they're just backward mm -hmm. and in fact they're equivalent to each other which makes them both wrong but <laughs> your answer is like huh what are you even i mean whatever it just shows you that you there's lots of room that these people can improve that just that made me think of one of my favorite ways to start a message. And by favorite, I mean least favorite. Um, I understand why A is right, but why is D wrong? Yeah. One of those things, though, that is a paradox. Yeah. You get why the right answer is right, but you don't get how the a wrong answer is wrong. They're not the same. Like, unless you think they literally think they say the same thing, then it's like, okay, let's clear up. This one's actually saying this. Yeah, But if you can tell that they convey different ideas and you know why one of them is right, I I have a hard time, and maybe this is just a fault of me as this kind of instructor, I have a hard time understanding that. How you can know the right answer is right, but not how something that is completely different is wrong. Well, I think it depends on the question type. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Like... There's many ways to strengthen an argument. There are many necessary assumptions for an argument. There are many potential explanations for a paradox mm -hmm. question. So it it's actually two separate mistakes, right? The, yeah. the right answer is right because it answers the question. The wrong answer is wrong because it doesn't answer the question. But the right answer doesn't really have anything to do with the wrong answer unless mm -hmm. we're talking about we were talking about a sufficient assumption yeah. question, and right? That is what I was thinking of. Yeah. Well, I was thinking of the, getting this question on a bunch of sufficient assumption questions. Right. But yeah, for strengthen, like, yeah, two things can strengthen it and I one see. strengthens more. That's understandable. Perfect. Um, we've been going for quite a while, Dylan. You want to uh, wrap it up? Yeah, sure. Email daily at lsatdemon.com if you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or law school admissions news. Thanks for listening.